Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's August 10th, 1932. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day in 1932 that one of Hollywood's biggest stars passed away peacefully in his California home. Radio stations around the country interrupted programming to announce his death and then broadcast an hour-long tribute to him. And this star, this veteran of 27 Tinseltown films, was tragically young, only 13 years old. And he was buried with his squeaky doll, because I am, of course, talking about the German shepherd known as Rin Tin Tin. (laughs) (laughs) And Rin Tin Tin would have had a very different life indeed and would have lived as a German war dog if uh, World War I had gone slightly differently, and particularly a battle near the French town of Saint-Michel, because in September 1918, the Allies actually broke through the German lines in southeastern France, and as the Germans evacuated the area, some men uh, in the American army were sent out to scour the countryside and see what remained, and among the discoveries were a mother dog and her puppies, which had been left behind in a damaged war dog station, and they were picked up and they became the sort of the mascot of this unit that liberated this corner of France. And he was picked up by a soldier called Corporal Lee Duncan. And the story's quite sweet, really. He was a sporting goods salesman from California who, he wasn't exactly an orphan, but his mother had surrendered him to an orphanage at a young age. And he he described himself as just being a lonely guy, pretty young at the time, 19 or 20 or something at this point. And he had this litter of newborn puppies. So he gave some of them to his fellow soldiers and he kept two for himself. He called them Rin Tin Tin and Nanette. And they were named after a popular pair of French children's dolls. And some of them had been given by French children to American soldiers passing through and they were using them as good luck charms so it was this idea that the dogs were these mascots for them and Corporal Duncan then smuggled them onto the ship that was taking them home because this was in September 1918 so the war ended a couple of months later he smuggled them onto the ship he actually lost Nanette she died of pneumonia Um, he had boarded her at the home of a dog trainer while he was going through his army discharge but the trainer this this is how people thought back in those days just offered him another German shepherd puppy as replacement whom he also called Nanette and would go on to be Rinton Tins, I almost said wife, but that's too much. <laughs> he would go on to have lots of puppies with her. I just want to make it clear that there were two Nanettes, so he wasn't breeding with his sister. I mean, you say the story's sort of sweet, as if that's a surprise, <laughs> given that it was crafted by a Hollywood scriptwriter, which is, after all, what Duncan <laughs> became. I mean, I know he was young then, but we only know the story because he told us afterwards, and he crafted all of Rin Tin Tin's backstory, just like he did the screenplays for his movies, didn't he? Everything about Duncan's story I'm not saying, I mean, obviously he was in France and had a horrible time during World War I and the dog was discovered and gave him light and love, yes. 
But everything else has been somewhat sentimentalised by Duncan, hasn't it? And has become folklore of Rin Tin Tin. And Duncan was that kind of guy. He carried in his pocket until the day he died, apparently, his admission papers from the orphanage, where he spent much of his childhood. And he made a direct connection with this sort of orphan dog that he discovered and his own personal story. I felt, he said, that there was something about their lives that reminded me of my own life. They'd crept right into a lonesome place in my life and had become a part of me. But, I mean... All of this backstory is what he then profited from later <laughs> by shilling Rin Tin Tin out to the studios as a performing stunt dog. Yeah, and it was obsessive. He he would train Rin Tin Tin for hours and hours every day and it seemed to contribute to the dissolution of his marriage later is that he just didn't have room for anyone or anything in his life except Rin Tin Tin. Yeah, what I love is that his first wife named Rin Tin Tin as a co-respondent in her divorce filing for that reason. <laughs> Too much time with the dog. Another Hollywood divorce. <laughs> Well, eventually he got Rin Tin Tin into a performance show in which one of the contests was to see which dog could scale the highest wall. And ultimately, Rin Tin Tin managed to scale an 11-foot, 9-inch wall, which wowed the crowds, first of all, and he won the competition. But also one of, uh, one of Duncan's friends had actually purchased a new slow-motion camera, which he brought along just to test it out. And he filmed this feat that then came to be the proof that Duncan could offer when he was taking taking uh, Rin Tin Tin around with him to show what his dog was capable of, he began pitching it around to studios, especially when this other dog named Strongheart became a star in uh, the silent movies. Yeah, it's strange, but this wasn't the first major dog screen star, and it wasn't even the first major German Shepherd screen star. I mean, they're probably the breed with one of the less cuddly images, which makes it even weirder that the first two major dog film stars were both German Shepherds. And Strongheart, there were a lot of parallels. Strongheart was also a war hero. He was a uh, German Red Cross dog whose owner had sent him to a friend in the US after the war. And like many a Hollywood star, he had to change his ethnic birth name. He was known as Etzel von Oeringen. Yeah. And it, that was traded in for the more screen-friendly Strongheart. He died in 1929 at the age of 11. He'd been burnt by a studio light while filming a scene and the wound became infected. And of course that left the stage open for another German shepherd to take his place. Yeah, these were the early days of filmmaking where it was common for unknown actors or writers or directors to dogs. literally walk <laughs> or dogs <laughs> to walk or be walked door to door along Gower Street in Hollywood which was known affectionately as Poverty Row and that was where some of the smaller studios had their offices and you could just knock on the door and say hey I've got either this star or this treatment that I'd like you to have a look at and Duncan alongside Rin Tin Tin made enough of an impression that he at the very least lodged himself in the mind of a producer and when a director who was struggling to get a good performance out of a wolf in a film called The Man from Hell's River, um, Duncan got a call because they were like, you know, we can probably have this, uh, this Rin Tin Tin dog play the role of a wolf. And Rin Tin Tin had his face smudged with dirt to hide his German shepherd markings. And from that point, a star was born. But on the back of his success in that picture, Duncan was able to hawk around scripts starring Rin Tin Tin um, and the first was Where the North Begins, which was his breakout role that really pushed him to the front ranks of the German Shepherds in Hollywood. Um, and it wasn't because of the stunt work, <laughs> although obviously he could do that. It was because of the close-up work. It was because he seemed to project emotion. 
this is the Boston Globe reviewing the film. Quote, mm. he enacts so many different moods that it is difficult to believe that one dog could play throughout the film. He can look like a savage wolf one minute. The next, he mm. plays with a little Indian child and wears an almost silly smile when he does his antics. He's the uh, Daniel Day-Lewis of, uh, <laughs> of the canine yeah, world. <laughs> yeah. This is the LA Times for whom he was basically Marlon Brando <laughs> yeah. in dog form. They said, Rin Tin Tin is an expressive young actor and the scene in which he lies at the feet of the man who intends to shoot him is quite without parallel in dog pictures. In fact, in the moments when he is standing or lying still and just looking, the famous dog is far better than in the more active scenes. Perhaps Rin Tin Tin belongs to that modern school of acting which expresses everything in the face. Wow. Like he'd been trained by Lee Strasberg. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was probably for the best that he was so sympathetic on screen because bear in mind that this is the film that made Rin Tin Tin a beloved screen star of Cinema Girls Young and Old. The film culminates with Rin Tin Tin savaging the villain to death. <laughs> he had to really dig deep into his own memories of World War One to <laughs> get into the role for that. <laughs> but regardless, by 1923, Warner Brothers signed Rin Tin Tin to be one of their stable of stars, and he earned $1,000 per week and was insured for $10,000. Um, Rin Tin Tin and Lee Duncan were driven to the studio daily, and he had this diamond collar that Duncan actually had to cover with a blanket when he was entering and exiting the car when he was out because he was worried that people would either steal, collar or dog or both. And Rin Tin Tin was also being hired as a spoked dog for dog food, for dog biscuits. He was really living, at this point, a delicious, amusing parody life, you know, running in parallel to the human stars <laughs> who were flogging lucky strikes on the radio. He was in a magazine with his photo saying, this is my favourite dog biscuit. OK, but what's really weird about Rin Tin Tin, I think, because there's a lot of um, parallels with Little Orphan Annie as a character whom we were talking about last week same sort of era merchandise opportunities coming in we said little orphan annie was one of the first characters to have her own radio series kind of makes sense you can make the transition from comic strip to radio rin tin tin is a dog like it's a very visual thing how did he have a radio series how would you even know you were listening to rin tin tin and presumably there was yeah exactly i mean what i mean it was really popular as well i just cannot get my head around that that was a moment of high drama I just did, by the way. I'm, I'm sure you knew exactly what I was doing. I was very moved. Yeah. And this was an era when one of the most popular radio shows was a ventriloquist act. So anything was possible in the 1930s. Apparently, Rintintin would occasionally lend his own voice to the radio serial, although the majority of sound effects were supposedly provided by a voiceover artist named Bob Barker, which is almost certainly too good to be true. Yeah, that's amazing. Let's not look into it. <laughs> Tomorrow. You have to use your hips, your knees, and your elbows to try and get it through the hoop. That sounds fun. And not be put to death if you failed. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.